Hear ye, hear ye, Greater Worcester. Molly and Sarah from Pop It, another Worcester podcast, and I simply could not fit our crossover into one episode. So here is part two. As our team works on new episodes for next year, we're getting even more Worcester-centered. So let us know what you think and want to hear on the show by sending us a note to publichearing at actionbydesign.co, not .com. All right, let's jump in. This is the Public Hearing Podcast and Radio Show, Times Pop It. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and on WICN 90.5 FM, Worcester's only NPR affiliate station at 6 p.m. on Wednesday evenings. All right, and we're back with public hearing and pop it. Pop it. So we ran out of time in our last chat, and we just needed to keep talking. So we're doing a little extension of of this. And I want to talk about the socialization challenges that kids are facing right now, being out of school. Like, I remember when I was in high school, like, being at school was, like, my life like I was like I can't wait to get to school and do all these extracurricular things and be with my friends and kids aren't getting a lot of that now yeah there are, some are not getting any right we have the kids who are in like maybe a hybrid model so they have like a small cohort of kids that they are hanging out with I have one class um or like half a class of a cohort who like they are a family. Like it's like 10 kids and they're like we are family we're so close and I'm like my goodness and it, it so that's been really cool to see when it, like you were asking about positives coming out of it and one thing I think is that the smaller groupings at least in the hybrid model which like obviously there's so many things that are not ideal about it but one thing is that like a smaller group of kids is really really able to bond and I think Sarah's found that as well oh yeah absolutely and today actually I had a student mentioned Jake Paul who's like a YouTube star <laughs> and all of the girls in the class go we don't say his name in our house and I was like is that what you guys call this our house oh my and- god I'm so here for I love houses those girls. like yes come through like yes. they were like yes we're this is our house like this one group of kids they travel together all day but they've never met in real life because they're in seventh grade it's so they amazing. came from all different elementary schools I think only two of them went to elementary school together and the rest there's 23 kids and they are developing these friendships especially using something called discord which is like their sidebar during class I know they're talking to each other but I don't even mind because they're building community And so it's funny you mentioned Discord because so for Love Your Labels and for listeners who aren't familiar, Love Your Labels is a nonprofit that I am the president of that focuses on LGBTQ plus youth. Um, And we've been talking about how to engage queer and trans youth during this pandemic um, when a lot of kids are in challenging home environments that are not accepting of them. And we've gotten the recommendation to like start a discord uh, for our community. So like I am still kind of like moving down that like pathway of understanding of like, okay, I use Slack. But I guess they're kind of similar, but Discord sounds way cooler. Slack is like the pro, the professional version. I feel like Discord is like the cool, fun version, yeah, right? Yeah, you have, so I think there's a maximum of 75 participants. So you do really create That's this high. cohort. That's a lot, yeah. But they can make different channels, much like Slack, about different topics. Mm-hmm. And then they can play Among Us, which is yeah. the real draw. They're so, all obsessed with this game. So the way that works is like, so Among Us is a game that like generally you would play so like I play it on my phone I do play um 
I play it on my phone and it's an app, right? So it takes up the whole screen. And like, I think some people do it like on Steam, which is a game platform. There are different ways to do it, but you can't, like there's a chat function in that game, but you can't, you couldn't like leave that and then text someone and then go back to it, right? So the way that they're using Discord is as an as a, an audio channel. So you can like get into a Discord conversation. You can like start talking with your friends and then open up the game and Discord will still be open. Like that will be in the background. So what people wow. are doing, a lot of times kids are using it I don't know, kids, people are using it to not only communicate with each other and like be like, oh, here's the room code because you can just play with your friends, with a small group. But if you're in like an online game where like you're playing with strangers, people are using it to be like, I'm the imposter, don't like whatever, don't accuse me. It's like that's the whole thing. It's like the plot of the game. But it's interesting because part of it is being used to just like communicate in like the way that Sarah's students probably are, which is just like to communicate yeah, right well and I also I loved AOC started playing discord and she said all members of congress should have to play this because you're among us oh yeah sorry yeah. playing among us and she just said it's so revealing about your personality it is really really interesting all right I might have to look into this I it used is. to be so much cooler and play video games and stuff and now I don't honestly the only reason I started was because I had a bunch of fifth graders telling me how much fun it was and I was like I'm gonna check this out because like I like to be able to know what they're talking about too I a friend of mine posted on Facebook the other day and was like, you know, she was like, I think that it's really important for people to have mentors, but not in the traditional sense, mentors who are younger than them. And she was like, I nominate Josh Crook to be my mentor. And I was Aww. like, oh, that's so sweet. And I, I was like very flattered. And then I was like, wait, so what do I do there? And mostly she just asked me about like technology what, questions. What are my duties? So far, but yeah, exactly. But I'm like, I can also talk to you about abolition, but she doesn't need that. Um, because she's, she's been woke to that for freaking ever. Um, so I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, yeah, I'm like, I tell them they should have a board of directors, you know, like a nonprofit does. I said, you shouldn't just have one mentor. Find a whole bunch of people and everyone wants yeah. to be that person that discovers the next oh, up and coming you just set me youngster. up so well, Sarah. You set me up so well. <laughs> Love Your Labels is actually announcing this month a youth leadership board. So we're building a program that it's going to be a board of directors who are youth who are helping shape the strategy and the future of the organization and we're also giving them like workshops of on like public speaking financing and budgeting opening a bank account uh, event planning and coordination and it's like this whole thing so I'm super excited for that awesome. but yeah kids How are wicked smart what's the age range for the kids that you serve mm, so um, good question Sarah you might be able to find some kids for it right yeah, no so, I definitely have oh. some that would be amazing. So our Threads fashion design program and our LGBTQ plus youth board are uh, high school age. So between, well, between the ages of like 13 and 20, 20, 21, because um, we're considered youth. A, yeah, like people. youth, you know. Absolutely. And then our drag queen story time and our family-based programming is like the zero to 12 mm -hmm. age range, but awesome that is awesome yeah. so discord is a thing among us is a thing yeah but i yes. think that like so what happened with among us i think is like it's a microcosm of just like this whole pandemic is that they create this game came out in 2018 i just was just reading about it the other day because i was like what is the deal with this right I like i was like it was that old. it's yeah it's been around for a couple of years but then what happened is people were stuck at home so it had like a small but very loyal community of players um, who would start playing on Steam and whatever. So then there was like one YouTuber, I don't know the name, and it's not Jake Paul, whose name I also won't say in my house. Um, <laughs> not in this house. He and his brother are trash. Um, 
No offense to the see. This the, is where the, I like. No offense to the children no that are like, like all about it. Knowledge. I only know because of the kids. I also am <laughs> like I'm I'm very present on Twitter, so I get a lot of stuff. But anyways, um, oh my god, what was I talking about? Oh, Among, Among Us had like a loyal following. Yes, and so what happened is that it had a loyal following that had like you know. 100 people were playing it then and 500 people and after a while it had like still a small but loyal following and then everyone got stuck at home and guess yeah. what when people are saying oh they need something to do and they need a way to connect to each other mm-hmm. and so in September and like August and September of this year they had to like recalibrate their servers because it couldn't handle it anymore because word just got out and some oh that's what I was saying a YouTuber like stream the game they went on Twitch which is like where you stream playing video games right and they were like I'm playing Among Us and that's where um Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez also did it she streamed it on Twitch um but that's how it sort of there's like one guy who's like kind of credited with it sort of growing and it blew up and they were like oh no (laughs) we have to make this more accessible to more people there's also a Bob Ross Twitch where they just stream Bob Ross episodes constantly that sounds so relaxing. Yeah, I could get into that. Right? Um, but yeah, that's so interesting that like, so it was kind of like the Tiger King effect yeah, where absolutely. the pandemic happened and like every single person watched the Tiger King, which I still admittedly Within have not like a month, through. right? I, yeah, I thought about that. I remember at the beginning when everyone was watching it, I said, you know, this is going to be one of those things that like historians are going to look back on and be like... For for two weeks of time, this is the only thing that people <laughs> talked about. Was it was a thing. it was a it was yeah. a right. cultural phenomenon. Like absolutely, it was so insane. Um, it was like Titanic. Like what it and so I don't know if you guys have heard the newest news about Tiger King, Joe Exotic. I don't. Oh, what's going on? Give with it Joe? to me. I'm ready so for a spoiler. You've heard like you know the basics. Oh of yeah, it, right? yeah. Yes. No, so, you can't not. I feel so. There are two things that are not related to each other. Um, that are part of this. One is that apparently Joe Exotic would like a pardon from the current president of the United States. But he'll get it. Oh but my God. another thing is that the current oh president of the United God. States and his like son or whatever are currently being investigated for um, potentially like soliciting bribes for pardons. Yeah, heard that story. So I don't know if these two things are related, but I in my head I like the idea of connecting like Joe Exotic being like I will give you a $20,000 campaign donation. You got to get Lucy If you give me a pardon. Seriously. She, I asked her. I was like, "Do you know anything yeah, about this?" She, she said, "Yes, yeah. the large animal cuz she's really into big cats and she mm-hmm. brought big cats to Worcester Science Museum, the Ecotarium." Yes. Love and Lucy. she said it's a very Pun small intended. community, so he's got quite a reputation and um, yes, I know all about him. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. I can't wait till this pandemic is over and we yeah. can have a cocktail. And I, I know. Like, I had recently heard just like even the portrayal of Carol Baskin, they were like, people think that people think this because that's like the framing of the show, right? Like these documentaries come out and you get this people, people think that Joe Exotic is like not a hero, but people do seem to have more positive thoughts about him. A man who like was ch- like charged and convicted with attempted murder than like this woman who's who was the attempted murderee. Yeah, and she um, obviously went through a lot of trauma herself. Right, and she also, I mean, and she also like I don't think is, uh, you know, a has stand best practice, girl, whatever. Yeah. yeah, and I don't well, know. I don't and know. This is, I don't but, know either. So and this is for me, it's like we are in a, a society now where reality TV and reality yeah. TV are very much 
intersected. Yeah. Like so, sometimes I do something silly and I feel like it should have that music that like used to play on like the keeping up with the Kardashian. That's just like, doom, doom, doom. <laughs> you know, like that little, like that, like kind of like jingle that would always play when they were like doing something that seemed kind of like ridiculous or like on the real housewives. There's like this like music that plays and I'm like, I feel like this should be happening. In oh, if I have to like finish like an article or something I'm working on, I'll put on like the Lord of the Rings soundtrack or yeah. like something to like, facilitate the expediency of my work you yeah. know and I feel like that is like such a thing in society now is mm-hmm. like what is reality and what is yeah reality quote unquote well, and part TV. of it is with social media we all think we're on the cover of people magazine you know like we have all got our own platform Sarah I am on the cover of people magazine <laughs> um speaking about being on the cover of people magazine which like might happen, but this week there was big news, right? Yes. Where I was really excited. I was I was telling Sarah and Joshua while we were on a little break, like I got a Twitter curates my news updates now. It's like this is important to you because these are things that you tweet about. And I got a notification. It was like Tuesday at like 11 a.m. or something. And it was just like, Umbrella Academy star Elliot Page comes out as transgender. And I was telling them, it took me a second. I was like, who is that? And then I was like, oh, of course. I had the same experience. I had a student today include Elliot Page in her universe of obligation, like someone she really cares or would put herself in the line of harm for to protect. And I said, who's Elliot Page? And she was like, miss. So I looked it up and I was like, oh, (laughs) Juno, of course. Yeah. Yes. Um, But if... in case anyone like had not heard this news or whatever, like is you know, there are many reasons that maybe someone is like I don't know this. Um, Elliot Page was a star, like Sarah said, of Juno and Whip It and all of these movies, um, and they had previously presented as a woman, um, and recently was like, hey, guess what? I am a like non-binary trans person, and my pronouns are he, he or they. Um, and it was, I thought, just I don't know, like I am a big fan of. There's um, through I said whip it because that's like my favorite. I'm I love that movie so much. Um, but I'm just like I'm a big fan of theirs, and I follow them on social media, and you know, and I just thought that it was interesting for me as like an an entirely external person to the, this actual person's life and experience. But for me, even things like came into focus almost, and I was like, oh, this makes sense. And so then I was imagining for them like, oh my god, it must have been like the most like amazing thing to be like for for Elliot to be like oh yeah like this is who I am right it was really cool I don't know I thought it was just like a cool news it yeah I and I think really impactful in a lot of ways Mm. and like you know we can go back and forth in just society and conversation in general about like the importance of or the impact of celebrity on social movement right absolutely And, and I think like with Elliot coming out and there being such a strong response. And I think, you know, it, it's fascinating for me to think about what Elliot may have had to have done prior to a public coming out to allow for, you know, this to be presented to the public. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure that for some time, I don't know how long, They had this understanding of their identity that because of their position and their celebrity, they had to think very specifically about how to present that to community, right? Sure. But for the fact that, like, it came out 
at the same time that said, and Netflix has already changed their name in the yeah. in the credits of all the yeah. Umbrella Academy. And I love the, I watch the Umbrella Academy. It is, you know. I love shows about misfit superheroes. Oh, yeah. If you guys haven't watched um, Doom Patrol, highly recommend. Ooh, That's another okay. one. It's, it's super weird. List. It's on HBO Max. Um, but yes, keep going. Yeah, no, I and so that <laughs> is like so powerful and like again it just reinforces the importance of like there are so many articles that have been coming out because of Elliot's like quote unquote like former identity and the the visibility and the rec- name recognition that he had of like talking about like dead naming and like how articles mm. like shouldn't make that the focus. Like, what and is it's, like, dead naming? Like people don't even know what that means, right? Exactly. Like, and like, so for wait, for listeners tell me, dead naming? Yeah, so uh Dead naming is the name you were given at birth that you no longer identify with. And, right. you know, so for trans folks, you, uh, you know, claim the name that you want and you to identify with, and that should inherently be respected. And actually, relative to the Elliot Page story is interesting. The, there was an article, I think it was from like, honestly, I think it was like Yahoo News or something, but they were talking, cool. right? Like <laughs> Yahoo is still, still a thing, but... Um, they were talking about how in society, like there are so many celebrities that have chosen their names and it's innately respected. Elton Lady John. Gaga, Madonna, Elton John, like all these people, no one asks the question. Mm-hmm. But as soon as a trans person comes forward and says like, this is how <laughs> I am identifying. Like, people are like, I don't believe you. They're like, well, that's confusing. Right. And you know. And it's like, not actually. <laughs> right. I've and, had a number of students this year ask me to call them different names and it's the first year that's ever happened. And I was wondering if it was related to the fact that we're in a virtual environment and it feels safe or low stakes oftentimes but I just made myself a post-it you know yeah right no absolutely <laughs> like, and blank equals blank don't forget because yeah, the roster says one thing but you're gonna call them this yep. yeah and so actually um a friend of mine works at uh WPI who uh, has been working on uh, you know, she's a queer woman, been working on championing the roster being changed to reflect students' chosen names. Mm-hmm. And in public education, in higher education, it gets really complicated from, if we're talking about technology from a technology standpoint, because not everyone who's out at school is out at home. Yeah. And so there needs to be like this separation of what, names and pronouns are used at school versus what might be sent home to parents. And I think like there are so many people because I have people in my family and my like social circle who would be like, well, that's just too confusing. Why does it have to be so confusing? You know, like as the argument, I'm like, well, let's talk about identity and society and all the things that are confusing and like by prioritizing like the oh, they used to go by this, or like this is what they were before, it just makes it unnecessarily complicated for the person because they're actually more just curious about identity. Absolutely. And that's like the thing that, so like we kind of made a point, right, to be like Elliot Page, comma, the star of Juno. That's how you know who that person is, right? right? You don't have to say formerly known as or whatever. You can just be like, yeah, like you all, like, and I think that's, to the point that you were making before about the level of visibility, like this is, a, this is really, really big. Right. And especially I think for, um, like non-binary or, um, uh, like masculine defining people. Um, like I think someone like Laverne Cox is like, is very, very present and there's lots of, um, 
you know, examples, I think on the more, on the femme side or the feminine side or people who identify as women or present as women. And so I think that this is a really big deal in the sense of like, on that side of it as being non-binary, um, or like masculine identifying, but also just like the, the fact that like, this is an, an Oscar nominated, like a list essentially actor. Right. Like this mm-hmm. is like a this is huge. This is a big, big thing. Mm-hmm. Someone who everyone has welcomed into their home. People know. Right. Yeah. People know who that person is. Like it's not like I'm like, oh, this, you know, supporting actor from an, uh, an old AMC show that I want right. or something, you know. And it like <laughs> makes my skin crawl to say this. But like there is that level of like, oh, I have always loved that celebrity. So now I'm going to be more open to understanding trans identity. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like and it makes me angry to have to admit that but also like understanding human behavior like we know that that is also true and like I'm like if this is the moment that someone is like I'm gonna take a closer look Mm -hmm. great right and that's why visibility is so important we've been trying to do that celebrate people that change their minds especially as adults and that's why I so applaud you for being like yep I can look through the white male gaze it's like I can understand the perspective doesn't mean I agree with it, but I can sit here and go, okay, this is what's going through that person's mind. And I think that's huge. Mm -hmm. Well, and I have such a, and I want to like, so talking back to like, uh, universal income and like if I could go and do something for a couple years I would go back to school and do a report on the difference of visible identity versus need to express identity, right? Like I grew up socialized male Mm -hmm. I am white I grew up in a middle upper class family in a suburban suburb of central Massachusetts a suburban suburb suburb. can I ask which one I grew up in Sturbridge okay yeah so I went to Tentasco Regional High School um and you know buy my candles in Sturbridge yes (laughs) you get a great discount at the at the Yankee Candle uh shop or whatever um but small town yeah yeah Small town, regional high school, which reg- is a regional high school, which so, says a lot, I think, about that area, right? Which is that the towns are really small. Yeah, <laughs> like, I could walk or bike to all my friends' houses growing up. You know, people in the neighborhood within one city, right? Yeah, and if you're five towns away from someone, you're only going to see them at school. So that makes oh, sense too when you said school was your world. Yeah, well, and it took me like 15 minutes to like drive to school, you know, and that was when I had a car and like we would have the bus and like all that stuff. But again, being socialized male, being white, and but also being queer and non-binary, like that is only something that the world really knew once I expressed it, mm-hmm. right? And so like I experienced a different mm-hmm. type of marginalization than folks who cannot change the fact that they are black or brown or, you know, like there are very visible and like you walk through the world this way and you can't change that. And so you have to adapt or exist and survive based on what society gives you. I have the ability to present as male, to be white, and to walk through the world making decisions which would have made my life a lot easier. So, like, it's a very interesting, like, dichotomy to think, like, all right, well, if I don't want to, you know, kill myself, I'm going to go down the pathway of, like, embracing who I am. If I would rather struggle internally but be maybe more successful and be way more you know, just part of society, I could go this route. So, like, I have that option, which so many people don't. If you're comfortable, will you tell us, when did you pick a path? 
So interestingly, I'll give you the, the fast forward version. Um, I was thrown out of the closet in high school after a confiding in a friend in the cafeteria. It was the talk of the cafeteria um, when I was 14. So I, was, I, ca I came out, quote unquote, very young. And so that was me living in a conservative Christian home. Gayness was a whole not okay thing. So I did like... I even pushed against trans identity when I was out and gay. I was like, you know, I'm just gay. It's not as bad as being trans. It's not as bad as these other things. I don't think that's uncommon though, right? I think especially from the background that you're from. Right. That's the idea is like you have like, there are like levels to it, right? Not not actually, but like right. Well, in the perception of it, you're like, this is how you see it. Yeah. Right. Well, and this is like the thing when we talk about like Stonewall and the importance of Stonewall and the like mm. LGBTQ you know, equality you know, effort, which really started as a riot, right? Yeah. It was led by trans women of color. Yeah. But so much of that activism calmed down when white queer folks were given more rights. Absolutely. You know, right? So like, mm -hmm. and, and this is actually bringing it back to Worcester, making it very local. The Worcester Pride organization that has operated here for many years <sighs> closed. They shut their doors. They canceled the organization. They was... said, we're done. It was... You know, you know better than white I. cis men. Yeah. Who did you not hear this, Sarah? Sarah looks like Sarah's like looking around. She's like, what? Yeah. 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 So it was, you know, it was run by white cis men who, and I'm not attacking any individual person, but talking about the structure that was built. And there was a perception that Worcester Pride was there to create a party, right? A parade, a festival to celebrate the accomplishments of the queer and trans community. Mm -hmm. While black trans women are still being murdered in this country at, at least higher 40 rates this than year. anybody else, right? And so like we have not gotten to the point where we can just celebrate and throw a party. Yes, like there is a place for community and celebration. No, joy, but, but like... Exactly, like we always have to find joy, right? Despite the shit we go through. Yeah beep beep whatever um <laughs> despite that like beep, beep. we have to find joy but the fight is not over and so instead of addressing like racial and ethnic disparities and transphobia within our own pride community here in Worcester their decision was to dissolve as an organization when did that happen Relatively recently, only yeah, over the like past over the summer, few months. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. End of the summer, maybe? Yeah. And I so, didn't know that. Yeah, and wild. so I've been, I've been working with um, another local um, activist and, like, accomplice in the, the work, um, Rochelle like Frazier and um, a few other folks in the community to build a pride coalition, which instead of being an organized body of people who are forming a parade, it's going to be a coalition of... LGBTQ plus focused organizations or organizations that support taking action. Exactly. And saying like, Hey, yeah, there's a space for pride week right. and a festival. We love a parade, but Absolutely. there's exactly. celebrate, but also there's also a place I, for writing letters to legislatures and teaching queer folks how to run for public office. Yeah. And that is still uh, the work that needs to be I done. And I think that what happened in Worcester in that case where the idea, like, or not the idea, well, where the, like pride was run by these people and then people said, oh, you need to maybe think about this, right? And then they close. It's like, that goes back to like the idea on a national level, like you just said, where like white cis, like 
people got more rights. And that is what happened with gay marriage, right? Like the idea that like people were like, this is all we need. All we need is for you to give us the right to marry each other. And there were people like there were like, especially trans women and trans people of color in the background who were like, we need to stay alive. Like we are trying to survive in this world. I don't care if I can marry my partner. I care if I can have an income, get a job without being discriminated against. Like, like literally just like live and move through the world. Right. And there, there are people literally in (laughs) a marginalized community saying, um, excuse me, ma'am, please step back. Yeah. I just want to get Married. Right, which is cool. It's great that it's great right. that that's and a like thing, it's it's unfortunate. It's not the only thing. It's not the end of it. Right, and mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that we're having like human rights arguments within communities who are oppressed. It's just like how I don't understand how there are queer people who are racist and uh, people who are people of color who are homophobic. Like I don't understand these These things, things but I also do recognize the socialization and like the culture and like, let's talk about toxic masculinity. Like that's a whole other episode that we could like (laughs) transit down. And like on our end, like we are white women, right? Like we are white cis. We're both heterosexual women. And like I look at other white cis heterosexual women and I'm like, how did over half of you vote for Donald Trump, right? And then I'm like, well, because, like, we've talked about, like, the socialization and the idea that, like, you bet, like, we, we benefit from a society that prioritizes white supremacy, that prioritizes late capitalism, that prioritizes this, this, and this. And for some people, they don't see that that's, A, a problem, and B, even happening. Um, But, like, as you know, even as just like a, like, as I said, like a white cis heterosexual woman, I, my freedom and my liberation, right, is entwined with everyone's, with with a black trans woman. My, my liberation is related to hers. And I think people have started to see that with, you know, 45's position as a global leader and global disaster right well and you know the fact that like i had to have like arguments with my family being like like your actual like immediate family my immediate family this administration is trying to take away my rights and they're like what do you mean and cause you direct harm it's not even like take away rights it's like it's like causing direct harm to people's lives. Yes. And I'm getting really fired up. No, there's a gradation (laughs) of needs for everyone. And Molly, you've helped me to understand. I grew, I went to Lilith fair. That was my first concert. You know, my mom was always like, you are a feminist. And it's a good thing that you went to Lilith fair to be very clear, but it was really eye opening for me when you said to me, feminism is not necessarily a movement or has not been first wave feminism in particular that has been beneficial to everybody, no matter whether it has roots in Worcester or not, you know? Right. And it's important, right. To like face that, right. Right. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people, it was acceptable that white women finally got the right to vote and black women couldn't. Right. Like there to Susan B. Anthony, that was acceptable. Right. Right. It's like, well, (laughs) we got far enough, you know? And so like, these are the things that we like, uh, far enough isn't acceptable. And, you know, I, I'm working with an organization here in Worcester, uh, Living in Freedom Together, also known as yeah, Lyft. We and, interviewed Nikki um, yeah. a couple years ago. Oh, Nikki is an incredible really, human really cool. in this world mm-hmm. and is doing really impactful and important 
work and has also opened my eyes as someone who always like, as, re, as of it, the past handful of years have been like, I am so progressive and awake to what's going on. And like, Nikki has like helped me realize things that I never really thought about. Like, um, you know, and this again is a whole nother conversation we could have, but like, there is a whole wave of like neoliberalism and like feminism that is ad advocates for full decriminalization of prostitution. Oh, okay, so we like I want to no. This actually, is a leftist perspective, Joshua. No, no. So actually, no. I do want to have this conversation yeah. because, and I only recently have had this conversation with it, Nikki and like changed it my is opinion. So interesting. That is super interesting. So, and I I do think I think Nikki's so awesome, and I think especially like the local like actual like work that she does is she amazing. The only shelter oh my of God. its kind. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the country, like in yeah, the United which States, is wild. here in Worcester. Absolutely, I think that like she's invaluable for to women this, who are to this community, prostitution and sex trafficking. Yeah, um, but I also um, there are people like Alana Massey and uh, Melissa Greer Grant. Melissa Greer Grant is a prolific writer, um, and she has been a sex worker. I don't think she is currently. Um, Alana, I think maybe still is. Um, but there are a lot of writers who are people who especially like in places like New York City have who have lived this life and talked to these people and it's like that like for a lot of people it is an actual tangible real life choice that they are making and when stuff like SESTA and FOSTA passes it is verifiably damaging to their life um and to their livelihoods and to their ability to survive um it it is it's it is it is a Probably a different conversation, but yeah, and I'm not on the same page. We had this conversation the other day. Yeah, Um, I and there was a lot to it. Listening to Nikki, she just said, "If if you have to pay for sex, it is not a consensual act." In so. I don't want people to have to live their lives well, that way. Well, and so I'm going to come at it from... Yeah, I want to hear what... I want to hear this. Yeah, so I'm going to come at it from... So Nikki is is working and, and Lyft is working to end systems of prostitution through the implementation of the equality model. The equality model is like a partial... Decrim- Some people talk about it as partial decriminalization, which legalizes the selling of sex, but criminalizing criminalizes the buying yes. and the management of sex, and so, like, if full decriminalization is allowed, that legalizes brothels, sex, uh, like pimps, and and like all the the full well, no, system. No, because decriminalization of and legalization are not the same thing. Remember, right? Correct, <laughs> correct. But so, so the the conversation relative to, and so this is where this is where it, I I where feel changed. like I changed. Yeah. is there may be a discussion on the validity of people who want to be and identify as sex workers, 100%. But under a capitalistic, male-dominated, patriarchal society, the sex trade can never not equal sexual violence against people because simply, and this is another reason why it really struck me because I'm about to say like supply and demand and we're talking about people yeah. right mm-hmm. and their bodies yeah. and supply and demand there is not enough supply and True. far too much demand right I agree with that and so there will never be a case where 
the sex trade is safe for people under a capitalistic patriarchal society. Well, then we have to change that. So exactly. And right. so that's where I say so, like, the focus very much needs a, to be there. Yeah, And I wouldn't call that. I think that you are, I think you're making good points. I just wouldn't designate it as neoliberal. I think that's not a neoliberal well, but okay. opinion. But he in particular just drew our attention to the yeah. parallels between the women who are in the sex trade. And she said, don't call it sex work. So, which I ref, that's not, but at any rate, she said that the opioid crisis yeah. is directly correlating with the the individuals who are choosing to do this work or right. not. And I think that that's been it. the case, and that right? the Johns are the ones manipulating that addiction, and yeah. so the Johns are the ones that should be punished. And I don't think that that's new, right? right. Um, and I think that that's absolutely the case. But I just I do think that I don't know. I just think that people who choose to do sex work have agency I don't and I think that's the true that's the case with any job we everything is we live in in a capitalist society right like I we just talked about like universal basic income if you had the time to do what you wanted what would you do right and it's the idea like I used to work in the service industry I used to serve people food and they and I got paid for it is so is that another thing where it's like I that's my labor it doesn't matter. Why? Why? Well, and so and so this is where and I have this conversation with a lot of like my friends and like queer folks as well. Yeah. And, you know, I have friends who have done what they identify as sex work. Right. And so this is a really has been a really hard conversation for me because I feel like there is the position of yes. There are people who can say, I am choosing to do this work, right? And I, I could go down a different argument, sure. like, around choice. But, right, like, are you actually? Yeah, right. absolutely. But um, I am choosing to do this work. I identify as a sex worker. This is what I'm, I want to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that may be plausible only if it exists in someone's complete ability to have autonomy over the decisions that they make. Yep as to how they are able to sustain and live their lives in society. Absolutely. And from right. my personal perspective, non-consensual sex is inextricably linked to trauma, right? Sure. So that's where I have Absolutely. a really, I just, from a personal standpoint, I do not understand it, yeah. how someone could choose that, I, but there are a lot of things people don't understand. Right. No, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, on, and it's interesting. So like, I think that it's, I agree with this idea, right, that under a patriarchal capitalist society, this can't exist in a moral way, right, like, or whatever, but on an actual, like, real-life level, this is people's lives, mm. mm -hmm. and that this is people's livelihood, so when you pass bills like this, and when you criminalize these people, and when you do this stuff, this actually does affect real people, and that's what I care about, I care about the fact that, right. like, SESTA and FOSTA have, like, have directly caused people to lose livelihoods, to lose lives, to lose, like, that is my problem. So, and, and so with the equality model, it's legalizing the selling of sex. So prostitution is not illegal. If, if people are choosing to do that work or are in that work, they will not be criminalized. They will not be punished. They will not be put in jail. They will not have their face and their mugshot posted on Twitter. Like the Worcester police used to post yeah. the women who yeah. were arrested on these 
you know, public pages to say, look at who the bad people <laughs> are in our out. society, mm-hmm. but you do not see the 90 plus percent buyer market of white males with disposable income who right. are lawyers, who are people's neighbors, who Town are selectmen. Exactly. Selectmen. You don't see those faces. And so the equality model flips the script for enough time where we can make more, mm-hmm. I think, necessary progress in this area and this is where you know I talk about like the tragedy of the commons right like there is like a ability for a percentage of a population to say like this is what I want to do and like if I'm making that choice I should have the right to do it yeah and then there's also like if your choice creates harm for countless others sure do you have to sacrifice that to, you know, a level or an extent, right? And that's where I, and this is, and honestly, Molly, I still go back and forth on this a little bit because I'm like, this is really complicated because I'm like thinking human life, human choice. I'm thinking law, politics, procedure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think Sarah makes a good point where she's like, we don't all know about all the things, right? (laughs) Like I know what I know. And we, well, and that's we it. all know I we know. everything through my own experience. Sure. That's a tough reality to um, face, too. Absolutely. If we could just seize the means of production. <laughs> yeah, right? If the workers well, could just... <laughs> well, and that's, uh, and that's the other thing. I, we were having this conversation the other day, and it was like, it was like okay, so if we were to uh, decriminalize and allow um, people who identify as sex workers to organize... Yeah. And unionize, yeah, and do these things. Like, okay, let's look at and have like healthcare, right? But also, but let's look at like other, other um, industries, right? Like, what are the OSHA standards for prostitution, right? Right, like, yeah, how is that managed, right? Like, you, it's yep, yep, right. So, like, there's so there's a much. lot to it, but there's also you have to remember people who have thought about this, right? Mm-hmm. Not me, I right, <laughs> not yeah, no, and I am still learning. But there 100%. are people, yeah, absolutely, and there are people though, like, and I think it's it's similar, like I think about abolition, where people are like, what is this? And it's like, well, actually, there's a lot of theory behind this, and there are people who have actually come up with ideas, and it's not new, and it's the same thing where it's like people have actually like theorized what it could look like for this, right? right. Um, I don't know all of it, but it is yeah. something that like it's not a new the work idea. is there. The work right. has the is, is being profession. done. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. and and actually, this resonates with some of what you were talking about on your defund WPD mm-hmm. episode because you talked about Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and like Black Lives Matter takes the position that full decriminalization for prostitution is the way to go, yep. which is where we disagree or like I'll speak from the eye like yeah. where I disagree with that specifically but sure. I don't disagree with You're not and I support be like, well, the Black I don't Lives Matter movement. Anymore. Right. right exactly yeah. and so like this is where there's complexity and I was just um, absolutely I it's not really a book club but it's like an articles club where like um, I have a, a group of friends and um, is it all articles the- from the cut because that's what we have <laughs> we as, just text my friends and I just text, yeah my friends Sarah it's, and, it's yeah. the um Level and Colin Kaepernick, uh, or like, yeah. brought together and curated this uh, thirty articles for oh, cool. abolition for the people is yeah. the title, and it like goes through like police. It like literally starts with a cluster of articles called police and policing, and then the like final cluster of articles is fuck reform. Um, yeah, and it's not gonna work. Yeah, so it's like this reform this whole thing. Good. Yeah, but that's really um, funny though. The like progressions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's like this progression of the theory and the ideas and like and that's your what point. I found I needed too in our conversation with the defund the police folks it 
at first, I think I pushed back. I talked about individual police officers that I knew and respected, and I had to be grounded. Someone said, like, a friend of mine, she called me up, and she was like, look, I don't think you did a good job listening to them. So I wrote a public apology, and I've been trying to re-educate myself, too. Well, and that is... And it's hard. And, and it's it, okay to be there, yeah, right? Yeah, that's exactly. what I love. You can change your mind. Exactly. And if I do it, I hope other people do it. You exactly. Know? Like, like, I'm not here for cancel culture like I feel like there is a breath of um understanding that we have to give to people and it was interesting I just recently finished the book um so you want to talk about race uh and in it like I love powerful um, yeah it's very powerful and in it she talks about like yes um and in it she talks about a queer black woman you know who wrote this book Ijema Oluo talks about learning and like education and like coming into new knowledge and like that'll you know speaking as a white person who has definitely screwed up a lot of positions and vantage points and thoughts that I've had like the ability to like recognize that you can grow and be a different person and like find community who connects to who you are then. And there still might be people in your past who will never relate to or forgive you for things that you've said or done to them that have caused harm. And like, that's okay too. And like, we, I feel like we live in such as, and I'm again, speaking from the eye, like I feel like we live in such a society where I had so constantly been like, what do people think about me? Yeah. Right? Like, does someone not like me? How do I repair yeah. that? And like, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, all right, I will be introspective of that, but, but I might've done harm in a way that will not be repaired. And I have to live with that, but I doesn't make me a bad person, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I always, oh God, I told my kids that today. I, one of them was like, I'm so stupid. And I said, oh, don't say you're <gasps> I, stupid. I, I said, tell yourself. I forgive myself. Yeah. <laughs> I had a like, kids today. I, was, I gotta tell were, myself that they every were doing day. like yeah they were doing like a drag drag and drop fill in the blank and there's like eight things and they're like I want to get eight out of eight and I was like guess what guys if you don't oh my gosh who cares <laughs> like if you don't then you look at it and you say which thing did I get wrong like whatever right like so if we bring it back to education that <laughs> is the number one emphasis in Massachusetts and believe it or not we really are leading the charge for the rest of the country. Um, growth. I do believe We're it. We're so focused <laughs> on growth. And so even in terms of standardized testing, the the achievement numbers don't concern me. I look at growth. How much did this kid grow when they were in front of me for a whole year? And if it's between 40 and 60%, I did an average job. And if it's more <laughs> than that, wow, we made more than a year's progress in a year's time. That's awesome. <laughs> I connected with this kid. And that's what I look at. I'm not looking right. to see if they got an exemplary score. Yeah. Because yeah. some kids are like, that's not where they're going to be, which mm -hmm. is okay. Right? The way that number is calculated too is they're put into a cohort with students who have performed like them for the last three years. Mm -hmm. So it's not just comparing themselves against themselves. It's a student that's put into a group that has performed like them for the last few years. So I just, I feel like those numbers are so much more valid. And when we think about the right direction to move for education, it's looking at growth and that growth mindset. Yes. And right. something that I've been seeing for years, it's literally written in my company's like 
core value statement is using data to inform and not dictate. So like this is something that we are using to learn about how we can better support kids and not say like, oh, this equals this. And so the action that needs to be taken is you don't get into college or like, you know, you right. don't get to progress. Like, the, Absolutely. like we should be assessing, but only as a mechanism to support individualized yeah. learning. And that's, I love that you're supporting the collection of social emotional data too. That's one thing that I've never done so before important. this year at the start of every class during the do now activator activity, I put in the chat a link to a Google form and the kids tell me like, did you eat breakfast today? Um, on a scale of one to five, how are things outside of school? Is there anything you need to tell me? And that's where all these kids have come to me and said, please call me by this different name. Don't right, tell my parent, like, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. it's like yeah. kids are opening up because they have the opportunity to give you data. So you got to do something with it. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we <laughs> clearly need to do this more yes. because we have now <laughs> successfully done a whole nother episode. We'll do two episodes. <laughs> um, but it's 640. Yeah. No, thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you again to Molly and Sarah from Poppet for doing these crossover episodes. I really value talking to other passionate voices in the Worcester community. You can get more from Poppet on their website at poppetworcester.com. I am your host and producer for Public Hearing, Joshua Croak, and this show would not be possible without our amazing team. Our audio producer is Giuliano Dorazio, who also did our original show music. Our intern for this season is Ellie Garfield from Clark University. And new to the team is my dear friend, Eric Gratton. Eric is helping us with all things organizing for the show, and it is so needed and appreciated. We'd love to hear what you want to hear on future episodes of Public Hearing as we move into 2021 with an even more zoomed-in focus on all things Worcester, recognizing that all politics is local and that what we do in our local communities has a greater impact in the national landscape of, uh, you know, things surrounding equity and inclusion and belonging and resident-centered growth and development. So we are talking about all that stuff that can be applied nationally, globally, but we're focusing in here on our 186,000 person city of Worcester, Massachusetts. If you want to be involved in the show, have an awesome idea for a great guest or a topic that you'd like to hear addressed, send us a note to publichearing at actionbydesign.co. That's .co, not .com. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey folks, thanks for still listening. Um, we had a few minutes left at the end of this episode, and since we're making the show even more centered around Worcester, I want to go on a couple tangents for a quick second. And these are the types of things that I would love to hear from people who live and work in our community to come onto the show and talk to me about. The first one is there is a lot of conversation going on about the new Amazon warehouse that's replacing the spot where the Greendale Mall currently sits. And there are so many um, different sides of this issue that people are talking about from the city and like the chamber of commerce side of things it's a you know it's creating new jobs it's new development it's uh you know repurposing and reusing space that has been vacant for you know many many years for the most part r.i.p best buy and home goods and all the 
shops that were inside of the Greendale Mall. But I want to know what people in the community think. A lot of folks are thinking that it's taking space away from the city to create a facility that's not accessible to the public and is really not creating all that many, uh, you know, high quality or high paying jobs to support resident centered growth in our community. And that's something that I am very, very passionate about is thinking about economic gardening as opposed to, you know, gentrifying economic development by bringing in outside developers and outside companies to build up Worcester, quote, I'm using air quotes, in a way that actually just means bringing new people into the city and displacing people who live here. So I like to talk about economic gardening as the cultivation of our own community resources and our talents and investing in our people here in the city, investing in residents and investing in things like public education which we have talked about so much on the show is so critical in my opinion and in a lot of you know economic development uh, theory and people who do this work from a way that is centered on inclusive equitable and sustainable growth so many people think that that is where we should place our money so that leads to another conversation slash argument that I'm very interested to get into with other people is the ballpark. Now, I want to talk just more broadly, and I do not have all the numbers and all the statistics at this point, which is why I'm opening this invitation. If you are someone who has thoughts and experience and is maybe involved in this project, reach out to the show, send us an email at publichearing at actionbydesign.co. We'd love to chat. But so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is what a lot of people in the economic development space call a silver bullet project, which means we are going to put all our eggs in pretty much one basket and rely on this massive, big media centric thing to make the city X whatever that might be defined. And that's another tangent that I could go off on talking about how or really asking the question, does Worcester have a vision for who it wants to be? And does investing $180 plus million as a city into building a sports stadium resonate with that mission? Because I have a lot of ways that I personally could spend $186 million within our community. Probably... I would start with giving out a million dollars to 186 different organizations and companies in the community to invest in youth jobs, to invest in uh, upskilling the, the workforce in our community. So that is a big glaring thing in my mind. But we also have seen across the nation development projects like this, specifically baseball stadiums, have a high cost threshold to start and, you know, you know, to kickstart and bring to life, and then also a relatively high failure rate five to 10 years after the construction. So that is not what I hope is going to happen in Worcester by any means. And I, it's kind of a moot point to continue challenging the fact that the stadium is happening because it is. So I hope that it's successful, but I also hope that we continue to challenge and hold our city leadership accountable to ensuring that the investment that they are making with taxpayer dollars is translating into what they're promising local jobs, uh, a boost in the economy, tax dollars and revenues coming in from tourism. Let's hope that that is the case. And the other piece that we continue to have to push on our city councilors, the city manager, the mayor, people involved in public office, is how are we centering equity 
in the development and growth of Worcester. If we're bringing in new developers and new jobs and new companies and all these things that aren't directly supporting the residents in Worcester, are we doing our jobs? So in the coming weeks of, or coming year of public hearing, we are talking hyper-local, Worcester-based, Worcester-centered. We want to hear your ideas. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me at josh at actionbydesign.co or reach out to the show at publichearing at actionbydesign.co. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.